Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, uh, first, I'm thankful for you, for the show, for our listeners, for the interviews we get to do. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope our listeners had a great Thanksgiving. How are you doing, man? Uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, you and your family and everybody that's listening, and, and especially all the people at the studio as well that help us put the, the show together. Oh, look at you. Good job giving a shout-out to the people that run the board and, and make things work for us. Uh, I normally ask you about Thursday night football, but it was really Thursday all day and night this week. I know you watched some. I'll get to Dallas in a minute. Your thoughts on the day of football that we saw? You know, usually I get to come on on Fridays and sit there and say, no, I didn't watch. But I, know but I watched. watched. I watched two and a half games. I know. I, I had no doubt. Like, you, you kind of dozed off in the Bills game, correct? No, I turned it off. I just <laughs> You were over it. it. It was boring. And as somebody who went to the Eagle Saints game last week, I have to tell you, the Eagles' win doesn't seem that impressive after watching the Saints again. The Saints, again, are not with their, without their starting quarterback, without their starting running back, without their star receiver. I think they were without both their running backs yesterday. So, and, and, and with the Eagles. So, beating the Saints means nothing. I understand that. I'm not going to go, I'm not on the Eagles are going to win the division championship, uh, I'm not there. They are playing better than I thought they would. They do have a chance this week to get to six wins, which was what I thought they'd have to start the season. They've played much better in the last few weeks, and and they've been committed to the run. But look, you know, people get more hope the more things like Dallas losing to Vegas yesterday happen. Yeah, but but Dallas lost without Amari Cooper. I understand. I didn't say they and, and they and they lost because they committed I think a team record close to 170 yards in penalties. I didn't say it was pretty. I yeah. Dallas will have a lot to complain about with the officials, but the fact is that Dallas lost again and for some crazy way the Eagles are two games back in the NFC East, and so now everybody in their mind is out there going, oh, the Eagles are getting It's like, come on, stop it. It's fine. You know, when, when I watch a Cowboys-Raiders game, I root for a tie. I mean, there's there's no two teams that I dislike more, although the Jaguars are getting up there because of Urban Meyer, but that's strictly because of Urban Meyer. Once he once he leaves and goes to whatever college he's going to, then, then I'll go back to not caring about the Jaguars. But when you have a game between the Cowboys and the Raiders, and the person that gets bloody is the ref? Yeah. Something goes wrong. Yeah, that didn't work out well. It really – okay, so so you don't believe in the Eagles at all, even though we'll both be at the game this Sunday against the Giants. Uh, it will obviously not be the best test because it is the Giants as well. But look, if they lose, it's you lost to the Giants. You're not – what it is so you know they, they need to win to get to 500 and have people keep talking positive you think they're going to do it no well I, do i think the eagles are going to win the division or they think they're going to beat the giants they're going to beat the giants the giants just fired their offensive coordinator i know i was the, so disappointed and, and, at that there yeah but don't be so disappointed the guy that's now taking over offensive responsibilities is freddie kitchens I, I and he did such a bang-up job with the browns well I, I don't know what you're worried about 
the predictability of Jason Garrett. There are two people that I believe should be perpetually in uh, in employment in the NFL, uh, a teams that play the Eagles, Mike McCarthy and Jason Garrett. I believe they should always be employed on staffs that play the Eagles because I just enjoy watching the Eagles play those teams, and I don't believe that they're very good coaches when I watch them play. So we'll see. I, I was disappointed that Garrett was fired. So you don't think the offense will look any different? I mean, look, I don't get it. I don't follow the Giants as closely as you do. They have mm-hmm. weapons. I guess they don't have a quarterback and they don't have offensive line. No, no, no. Sure. See, I disagree. I, I was not sold on, on Danny Dimes, but he has gotten better. The offensive line is trash. Uh, it, they're bad. And they have been bad under Gettleman. And until they draft good offensive linemen, they're not going to be good. It doesn't matter how many offensive weapons you have around. They're horrible offensive linemen, and you have, as an Eagles fan, you have a very good defensive line. Well, we'll leave our breakdown of the football itself there and talk to somebody who himself didn't always run behind the best offensive lines but definitely made a name for himself in his career. Jeff, let's go to our conversation with Ricky Williams and then come back and talk about it. All right, Jeff, let's get going here. We've got something special. Heisman winner, NFL legend, astrologer, photographer, and founder of Heisman Cannabis, Ricky Williams, joins the show. Ricky, it's so great to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, These are fun times for you. You are out there expanding your brand, uh, talking about everything that's going on. Can you tell us what's going on these days before we get into the story of how you got to hit this point? You mean like what's going on like with me? Yeah, with the, with Heisman Cannabis and, and what you're doing out there. It seems like things have come full circle for you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So we launched we launched Heisman, which and it's H-I-G-H-S-M-E-A. And I tell people it's not about a trophy. It's about getting high. Uh, we, we launched this brand uh, just last month. And it, it's funny. I So I just got back from Portland where I did a little dispensary tour. We launched in Oregon this, this past week. And it was interesting having conversations with people. And a lot of times, a lot of young kids would come in and say, who are you? You know, and I'd smile. And I realized this, these kids coming, it's an oppor- they don't know the story. It's an opportunity for me to introduce them to my story fresh. You know, and it was funny. I noticed the first couple of people, I started telling the story that was told by the media. Right, I started telling that story. Then I was like, why am I telling that story? Like these kids are coming in here. Like, why don't I tell my fresh version of the story? And and so the, the story shifted over the two days I was there. And, and I realized at a deeper level, really what I'm doing, you know? So the, the, the story of cannabis that was fed to, to me growing up was that if I did it, my, my brain was going to turn into fried eggs. Right. And then when I experienced it, my experience was completely different. It was almost the opposite. Like my brain was unscrambled and I had a little bit of clarity. Okay? And, and so as I was talking to these kids, I was telling them that story and I just kept seeing their, like, their eyes get wide and them nodding their heads like that was their experience. That was their experience. And I was like, this, is, this feels so much better to be able to talk about cannabis in a way that's uplifting and positive, not one that's filled with, with shame and doubt and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be doing this. And that's really what Heisman is about. It's about creating a platform where people to tell positive stories about how cannabis has helped them achieve their greatness. Well, you know, Ricky, that's that's what's interesting about, you know, as as we get older, we're able to to learn to be comfortable in our own skin and tell our own stories as opposed to especially for people like you 
who, who are in the spotlight so often, somebody else is telling your story. What, what made you decide to, to start to talk about your story? And when did you start to be comfortable in your own skin with telling that story the way that you want it to be told? Well, I, I think the whole idea of storytelling, I consider myself a storyteller. And I think, you know, when I was a kid, I had this, this vision or this fantasy in my life about what my life was supposed to look like. And that was the first story I told myself. And I did, I did a pretty good job, you know, hitting all those goals. But I realized this actually isn't my story. <laughs> and, and, and I started to live a different story, which was more of waking up, you know, waking up and realizing, you know, I thought the purpose of life was to be rich, famous, Hall of Fame football player and i realized actually this is not very fulfilling there's there's some there must be something else out there for me and so i went on a journey and i found it and for me what's given my life meaning is is that i'm a healer you know is that i've i've been through a lot of things in my life a lot of difficult things in my life and it's not something to be ashamed of or to be sad about it's training it's preparation to help other people go through difficult things because my story my experience is that you know, the, the the biggest challenges I ever had to face led to the to the best feelings and the most satisfaction uh, in my whole life. And and I think that's an inspiring story that if people hear, hopefully it can help them deal with their own challenges. You know, going back to your experiences when you were younger with sports, Jeff and I talk regularly about sports specialization these days. You're somebody that played baseball, football, track and wrestled in high school. You wore 34 as a tribute to Bo Jackson, and I, I saw. We talk all the time about the importance. How important was it for you to have all those different experiences as opposed to just play football or just play baseball? Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. And I was seven years old listening to the listening to the Padres, listening to you know my my idol Tony Gwynn. Um, but as a kid, I just was, I just loved to be outside playing around and in the neighborhood, you know, when it was baseball season, we were playing baseball. When it was football season, we were in the street playing football. When it was basketball season, we were playing basketball. And so that just, that was just how I grew up. And I saw being able to take my love for all of the sports to the next level of high school. I just thought this was great. Uh, yeah. And I just love sports, what they represent, competition, you know, being your best, working to get better, working together as a team execution you know that your mind wants to do something and your body has to figure a way okay how do how do i accomplish this task i think it's, it's great training for life you know ricky i don't know if you realize this but but you are probably the most popular athlete to not play in philadelphia for a philadelphia team um at, at, for two reasons one you were drafted by the Phillies, and actually, my understanding was you were Jimmy Rollins' roommate at one point. Yeah, we lived together. We, we sure did. So, sure so, did. so the first question I have before we get to the football part of this is: is now that Jimmy Rollins has it's been announced that he's on the Hall of Fame ballot, what's it like now to realize that you were roommates in college, in the minor leagues with a guy who's on a Hall of Fame ballot in Jimmy no, Rollins? No, honestly, even even. Even more important than that is what I what I learned. What I learned from J Row is that the only way you're gonna you're gonna be the best is if you love what you do. Because that kid loved baseball. Like you could feel it every day. He was like a he was like a kindergartner, ready ready to go to the field, ready to go to the field. And and you see, so I mean, it's it's a it, it inspired me. And, and when I talk to kids, I, I always I always talk about Jimmy and that. It, you know, if you're not loving it, if you don't wake up and you're not passionate to go out there, find something that you do feel that about. 
Well, so so Jimmy Rollins, as you may know, is also has also been involved in the cannabis business. Is he somebody that you still talk to and have collaborated with or have thought about collaborating with at this point in your lives? I mean, now that you you just let me know he's in the cannabis space. I mean, I you know I knew he's from Oakland, so I knew he was around it, but I, I had no idea he's in the space. Now, so I'm definitely gonna reach out to Jimmy. <laughs> you re reunite the teammates from what what year was it? <laughs> this was uh, 1996. All right. So so here's the other question I have. You were by far the most popular player before a draft. I think ever in the city of Philadelphia, as you probably know, the entire city of Philadelphia wanted that wanted the Eagles to draft you. And unfortunately for Donovan McNabb, uh, you were not drafted and Donovan McNabb was, and it was not a great situation for him at the draft. Did you know that there was this love for you in Philadelphia and that the, this, the Phil that Philadelphia wanted you so badly to be here? I did. So I, I was up in Philly right before the draft for the Maxwell, uh, the Maxwell Trophy. Uh, that's it, every year in Philly. And I think the mayor came out and said um, that he really wanted wanted the, the, the Eagles to draft me. Uh, and the truth is, um, I think it was Donovan had an amazing career, an amazing career. And I think you can't argue that a quarterback is the most important position um, in the NFL. But But I still think that Coach Reed and the Eagles made a huge mistake by not drafting me. Because no, seriously, I, I I'm really a West Coast type of type of running back, and uh, and I think with Andy Reed's offensive mind, he could have found ways to to get a lot out of uh, out of my skill set. Look, we we enjoyed having Donovan here, but I, I was one of the people screaming for you to be here. I wasn't booing Donovan, but I definitely wanted you to be here and may have called and lied about at my age to call into radio shows and voice that opinion. You know, you talk about the Maxwell Award. You won the Heisman Trophy, and, and it's funny. I didn't realize that – is it true the first email address you had when you went to Texas was Heisman at Texas.edu? It was, yeah. It was. So, so you always had expectations of yourself, and, and it seems from the things that you've said that you wanted to be bigger than just the game of football and, and use it as a platform to do to do greater things. As you said, you're a storyteller. Was it difficult to manage the pressure once you had that spotlight with the Heisman and the success you had? Or, or did it give you that platform that you were looking for to do the things you wanted? Well, it gave me a platform, but it wasn't the platform I was looking for. You know, I, I thought that when I made it to the NFL that I'd be that I would have transcended the box. But it was just another box, and it was even more limiting than the than the collegiate box. Because at least in college, you're a kid, right? And, and and you can say things, and people are like, "Oh, that's that's cute." But when I when I got to the NFL, and I would say things, they would say, "You're weird. You know, you're not like you're you're not acting the way you're supposed to act. This is how professional football players are supposed to behave. They're not supposed to wear wedding dresses on the covers of magazines." And again, I, I thought that I had transcended the box and, and what I would do would serve as an example or an inspiration. But, you know, it did eventually. But but it wasn't it wasn't the naive. It didn't happen in the, the naive, the naive way that I expected it to. Well, so, so when at what point did the light go off? Not just you experienced this disappointment that the light didn't go or, or that, that it, you weren't transcended right away um, and that people, people didn't understand you right away. At what point did you say, you know what, 
I don't really care about how people understand me, but it's important for me to use this platform to get messages out in a way that I want to get them out. I don't think I ever had that epiphany. <laughs> I think I just got comfortable being myself and then everything else took care of itself. You said that one of the, the things you're most afraid of in your life was people actually finding out that you smoked. And, and now here you are talking about your own cannabis brand with us. Can, can you talk about how that fear impacted you and then how you were able to embrace it once it became public? Um, yeah, so it impacted me because it was mainly because the, the story, especially coming from from African-American community is that the story is that the downfall of our community is drugs, right? That's the story. That's the story. That's the story. And so the way, the, the way my story was playing out was playing out. The downfall of my career was drugs. And so I, I was resisting, I was resisting that narrative. And, and I didn't realize that I was res resisting it because it was bull. I thought I was resisting it because it, somehow there was some truth into it. And and it wasn't until I left the NFL and I asked myself, okay, is this actually true or is there a different story here? And what I realized is there is a completely different story that I had no idea existed. But thank God I found it because it, it, it was the first time that I actually felt anything I was doing was actually meaningful or making a difference. And, and so how, how, what do you see is what's different? And, and is there something that you would go back or is there a way you would, if you could go back in time, that you would do things differently after you had been drafted and come out in the NFL? Well, if, if I was going to say I would do things differently, then I would have to assume that I know what's right. And I, and I don't claim to know what's, to know what's right. Um, and I think the whole purpose of life is to figure it out. And so it kind of defeats the purpose if you go back and do it differently, because you wouldn't have the knowledge to do it differently if you didn't go through the experiences. Um, but but in saying that, you know, in telling my story, right, if I were rewriting the story to, so it was it was it looked better, okay? <laughs> after I left after I won the Heisman trophy, I would have taken a year off and I would have traveled around the world with the intent that I'm going to find what I, what's next. What's next, okay? And if in that year off I didn't find anything, then I would have come back and played football. But my sense is I probably would have found another adventure. I saw a TED talk that you did where you talked about uh, judgment and, and people judging, and it kind of relates to that. When you retired in 2004, you said you didn't regret it and thought it was the most positive thing you'd ever done in your life. It allowed you to find yourself. How important was that for you, that time that you took away to really discover yourself and decide what path you wanted to go on? It was the most important, it was the most important thing in my whole entire life. And I think that moment in everyone's life, if hopefully they have it, is the most important moment in, in their life. And, you know, a big part of my early life was I had to go to church a lot, you know, and like three times a week. And I always talked about, you know, being born again, being born again, being born again. And, and I, I had that feeling when I retired from the NFL that I, I was, that I died, you know, like I, I took a gun to my, <laughs> to my story, my career, and I pulled the trigger. And I, and literally, before I put picked up the phone to call the NFL and tell them that I, tell them that I quit, I literally saw my whole life flash in front of my eyes, and I realized, damn, pretty much every major event in my life has somehow been been attached to sports, and I was giving all that up. Um, so by for sure, most important moment of my life, no, no doubt about that.
But, you know, Ricky, even though that seemed like an end, it, it was also a beginning in, in the ways that you've already talked about during this interview. But but also you found other careers, other ways to even be passionate about sports. Uh, I read I read that you were when the when the Ravens went to the Super Bowl, that that you were a photographer at that game. How did you find these other passions like photography and the things that you're doing now? Well, photography was a hobby, I wouldn't call it. At some point, it was a passion. You know, I was I was going after the perfect the perfect picture. You know, <laughs> but I I gave up on that one. Um, you know, I was lucky because I found football early. I, you know that I I found that thing that I love that that I can excel where I can excel. So I, I knew how to recognize it. And as I started traveling around the world and doing a whole bunch of different things, because I'm always doing different things, I was able to recognize. Oh. This feels good. I, I think I want to do this. And astrology was one of those things. Had a woman talk to me about my chart, and I was like, "Wow, I have so much clarity. Like, where can I learn more about this stuff?" And that was 17 years ago. And and now now I'm like, I, I get it. I understand it, and it's a tool I can use to help people gain that same kind of that same kind of clarity. You know, it must have been interesting. I wonder what the experience was like. You had played for the Ravens the year before, and so you're there with Coach Harbaugh on the field in the video, and yet you're photographing it through your passion on the sidelines. What was it like for you to experience the Super Bowl from that view through the lens of a camera? You know, it, that was fine. It was hard. You know, like <laughs> I'm a kind of person where I like to do a really good job. And, and in order to be skilled enough to get a job photographing the Super Bowl, you have to be really, really, really good. Okay. And I'm not, I wasn't that good. And so I, I was so focused on just trying to get like one shot, you know, and, and it's hard because I know the game, but it's different photographing the game because you have to predict where the person is going to be. You have to be in focus and you have to have the, the whole person in frame. So it was work. It was work, you know, but the pregame was cool, right? The guys were, I was on the sideline with the Ravens and they all came over, you know, and they, they, you know, they said they missed me and, you know, they thought about me all year. That was great. And then Roger Goodell walked over and recognized me and shook my hand and said, anything you need, you just let me know. That was great. Being back in New Orleans where my whole career started and the same people were working there and saying, saying hi and saying goodbye, you know, in the same place. It was awesome. It was really <laughs> It was a really, really fun week. And then it's New Orleans for the Super Bowl. So, you know, can't how can that. you beat that? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you're able to do now that you that you don't do it with that same level of intensity that you did sports? Are you, are you able to just sit back and enjoy and, and call something a hobby? Or, for example, I heard that you play softball. Are yeah. you able to, are you able to play softball and say, Hey, this is a hobby. I'm just going to go out here and have fun. Or do you go out there with the same competitive spirit that you went and did everything else when you were younger? It, you know, it's, it's a little bit of both. If it's not, if the competitive spirit is not there, then it's not, it's really not going to be that much, that much fun for me, but it's, it's really about shifting the energy, right? Competitive spirit was okay. I have all this vitality in this, in this youth. I use this energy to, to attack. Now the competitive part is is like managing myself so that I don't hurt myself, right? It's competing against my my younger uh, tendencies, <laughs> but it's still a competition, you know. And so I think as we get older, it's you know it's about economy of energy, you know. We're we're, we're smarter, we're we're wiser, we can be more efficient in, in in how we compete and how we utilize our energies. 
there was a time where you did a little coaching. I actually saw you you got to coach a team of Chinese athletes in a tournament as well. Uh, what have you been able to give in terms of advice, or what advice do you give to athletes coming into the game? Um, well, I, I don't know. I guess most most young guys might be surprising don't really ask for advice. You know, I think part of part of being great in a superstar is you got all the answers. You know, ha ha ha. Um, but but coaching coaching by far is my is is my favorite thing in the world to do. I. I love coaching. Love, love it, love it. You know, I, I love coaching more than I love playing because I have limitations as one person in what I can do physically. But coaching four or five guys, you know, in the running back room or coaching a whole team, you know, there's must there's much less limitations in what what we can do when when you have a group of guys and you can get their mind right and you can prepare them and, and see what they can do as a team. You know, you talk about coaching, you talk about a lot of the things that you do to help other people. One of the things that, that you do, and one of the things that we like to talk to athletes about is how they use their platform. You created the Ricky Williams Foundation. What was the motivation for you of creating a foundation to get, kind of give kids the space and support that they need, an environment that fosters choice and awareness? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. I, You know, I look back at at my upbringing and, and I look back and I say, what did, what did I, what do I wish I had? And it was really like choice space. You know, I felt like I was in a box and there were so many expectations of what I was supposed to be or what I wasn't supposed to be. And I had to overcome those obstacles, but still a lot of them were, were, were too great for me to overcome until much later in life. And I think if we give, if we can allow kids to be, to realize that they actually have agency, they have agency in their life. And the sooner they can realize that, I think it's it's the most empowering thing we can give to, to people. I think the way we treat kids, we sometimes make them feel like they're either they're victims or they're responsible for things that are actually our fault. Now, this is one thing about getting mad at kids, right? I noticed this when I would get upset with my kids. Like, we raise these kids, and we're getting mad at them for the things that they we taught them. That just is the craziest thing in the world, the craziest thing in the whole entire world. It's like... <laughs> it, it, you know, you, you talk about teaching, and I want to I want to kind of close back where we started with the Heisman brand and, and what you're doing. High H I G H. Got to make sure we're clear with everybody for that. With bringing cannabis and sports together, uh, can you talk about what your goal is for that? How do you see them coming together so that athletes aren't run off by people because they smoke? Well, it's it's bigger than just sports. You know, I, I took a class when I, I went back to school after I retired uh, from the NFL. I took a class on uh, the history of history of sport. And there was the one section in the class that really caught my attention. It was 1906. There was a convention called at the White House to save football. I think several people had died in college football and they were thinking about let's just let's just shut it down. And and Teddy Roosevelt said, actually, we can't shut it down. We have a war coming and we need to train these men as leaders. OK, so I, I, that really stuck out to me because I started thinking about, wow, you know, and and when you when you look at the old school football teams, right, it's Yale, Harvard, Princeton, right, where all the smart kids went. Now it's kind of the opposite, sort of, you know. And I was thinking back then football was something that was used to train men to be leaders in the world. And to, it can still save, serve the same purpose, but we don't think about it that way. And so I think of what football is doing, it's, it's giving us all the skills to be able to be successful in life. 
Okay. And one of the skills that I learned is probably the most important skill as a, as a football player is to have a short memory. Okay. It's to let go of the past and to, to envision a brighter future. Okay. Cause if you can't do that, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck. And when I found one of the, the most wonderful things to help me be able to do that was cannabis. And this idea of in order to, to, to succeed, to be successful in life, okay, you have to be able to recover. You have to be able to let go. You have to be able to rise above and see the big picture and understand what is the purpose of all of this. Otherwise, even if you're successful, it's going to feel empty. And, and, how, and how do you get rid of the stigma of it? I mean, one of the things is, is there is still, despite the, the growth of cannabis throughout America, there is this, still this stigma when it comes to cannabis as it relates to sports. How, how do you get rid of that stigma? What, what do you say to people who say we still need to have drug-free sports? Well, that, that's not my stigma. That's their stigma. So, so again, I, I don't try to change people's minds. I'm, I only, can only speak from my experience. I played professional sports. And you can ask any of my teammates, what kind of teammate was he? Every single one of them was going to say he was the hardest worker. He was the best teammate we had. Every single one of them will say that. So what we can do is we can just be honest and, and share our own experiences. Look, Ricky, we can't thank you enough for your honesty. We're, we're so happy for you that the experiences you had have led you to Heisman Cannabis and all the success you're having. We really appreciate the time today, and I hope we get to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, this was great. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Ricky. This was a blast. Jeff, I knew that that was going to be fun. I looked forward to it from the time you told me that we we're going to be able to talk to him, and it was even more interesting than I thought it would be. Thank you so much for setting that up for us. Well, look, he, he's he's enjoyable to talk to. He is different. I, I'm glad we got to talk to him because it gives a different perspective of Ricky Williams than what we the caricature that the media portrayed him as for so many years. They portrayed him as, you know, he brought up the the, the wedding gown issue. Which I, I wasn't going to bring up. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, but it shouldn't have been that big an issue. It was just all it was was a cover for Sports Illustrated. It wasn't that big a deal. And, and then, you know, he, we, we didn't talk about was was him wearing the helmet when he went to press conferences. And now you understand, while he didn't talk about that particular episode, now you understand why why he did it. And now with the way that athletes are now dealing with things, it, it's much more common and more open to do what he wasn't able to do and that he wasn't comfortable in his own skin. But one of the things that I, that I love about talking to especially older athletes that have gone through their careers is how they've evolved and how they've become comfortable in their own skin. His perspective that he has now on things with everything that he's gone through and I, I really look at it coming full circle for him. Now he can advocate for the issue that made him afraid to do his daily job. And look, he brought it up. It wasn't just you weren't supposed to do as an athlete. He was worried about the stereotype as an African-American of a black man doing drugs. And and to hear somebody talk about that, we've had those conversations. We talked to Doug last week, the, the expectations that are put on the community, the the stereotypes that are put on them. For Ricky, that was a thing. Everybody else's expectations that were put on him, and he just wanted to be who he was. And I think that came across in the interview, and I think you can hear that he's kind of comfortable in his own skin now.
Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it was a good interview. I think that uh, he was enjoyable to talk to, and I think you learned a lot from him, especially about the Phillies, about his Philadelphia relationship, the fact that he played for the Phillies minor league teams for four years, that his roommate was Jimmy Rollins. Good call um, on that research. You got that in there. I, I, you know, we saw that he played for the Phillies. I didn't realize he was Rollins' roommate. That was good. Well, I think it was great to hear. You know, we always saw Jimmy as as kind of this affable, lovable guy, um, and it turns out he really is like that. I mean, we've gotten to to talk to him, but for people that don't know him, know him. His roommate is talking about how he went out there with such passion, even from the time that he first started in the minor leagues. Yeah, it, it was just fun all around. And uh, after talking to him, I just imagine him being in an Eagles uniform. And well, so I was just I was just going to ask you that. So you now have Ricky Williams himself saying that he wanted the Eagles to draft him, right? Yeah. If you could do it all over again here, you're going to have to fall off this fence. If you could do it all over again, would you knowing what everything that you know now, would you go back in time? And if you, you were Andy Reid, would you draft Ricky Williams instead of Donovan McNabb? That's a really hard question. I'm not trying to sit on the fence. Uh, because, well, you're you're sitting on it. Well, because you got to get off. You got to go on one side or the other. Otherwise, the fence is nah, going to collapse. Well, I still take McNabb because I saw how Andy used his running backs. Like he got weapons to use. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think that him and Andy Reid's offense would have been something special. So no, I probably would have still taken McNabb given everything I know. Not the Ricky side, the kind of what the Eagles did around him side. I don't know that. And and. And if you could get in a room, all those people who bust up to to New York to boo Donovan McNabb, if you got them in a room with a lie detector, they'd still say would, the majority of those people would say that they made the right decision in booing him, or th- that the Eagles made the right decision in getting Donovan McNabb. I think you'd be split. I think you'd have some people who would say it worked out fine. And setting up. <laughs> I don't think that everybody would have changed their mind, though. So it's not. No, like... I asked majority. Would the majority ha- would be saying, yeah. you know what, McNabb was the better choice than Ricky Williams for this kind of offense? I think the majority would and... say it was the right choice. Let's hit the break. When we come back, we'll talk some soccer with Jack McGlynn. Stick with us. This is Lou Nolan, the voice of the Flyers. And you're listening to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. All right, we're being joined by Philadelphia Union midfielder Jack McLenn. Jack, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay. I mean, obviously, you're doing better than us. You had a chance to to play in your first playoff game last week. What was it like to play in that playoff game, and what was it like to go through that whole crazy experience that happened at the end? Yeah, it was, it was a crazy game. I mean, the fans were amazing. Like, the atmosphere was electric. You know, the stakes were, like, win or go home, so... Just coming onto the field, I knew I knew my job, so I just knew what I had to do, and it's a good thing we got the win. What's that experience like for you? You've come through the homegrown system, gotten a lot of firsts this year in the MLS. All of a sudden now you're before that crowd. Jeff and I have been there in the stadium before. I haven't seen it shaking like that many times. What, what was that like for you to like look around? Did you take it in and be like, oh, man, this is real? Yeah, yeah. When we were walking back from when we scored, I was looking around and like, the whole stadium was jumping and shaking. There was, like, yellow smoke everywhere. So it was just crazy to see. Did you guys check and see how fast Coach Curtin was running down the sideline there to get into that dog pile? Because he did a good sprint there. Yeah, I didn't see. I was sprinting over, too. But we saw. I saw the video of it. It was funny. It, it was, what's, it been like, what's it been like to play with him? 
uh, for him, very... actually. I mean, you, you get to run with him on the sidelines after celebrations, but during during the game, what has it been like to, to play for a guy that he, he has said about you that you have an incredible uh, soccer IQ? What's it been like to, to learn from him going from your early days when you were in the homegrown program to now being in the playoffs? Yeah, I think he's a really great coach. I mean, he teaches me a lot every day, both in training and in the game. He helps me out a lot. He gives a lot of, gives me a lot of confidence. I mean, he just shows confidence putting me in a playoff game like that, which gives me a lot of confidence when I step on the field. So I just I learn from him every day. What was your view of the shot from Jacob Glesnus? It seemed like the tension, you know, in the 123rd minute, people are expecting it to end and go to penalty kicks there. All of a sudden, just a rocket. Where? What was your view of that all? I was I was running back because they, cl- they cleared the header away, so I was ready to get back, and I'm running back, and I was on the left of him, so I just see the ball go in the air. I was like, oh, I knew it was Jacob, so I knew I had a chance of going in, so it was just crazy. Were you getting prepared? Was your mindset that you were about to go to a shootout? Or did you think that there was any chance that this game was going to end before that? I definitely I definitely thought we always had a chance of scoring. We were, I mean, I think we were the better team for the whole game. We had more chances than them. We had two really good chances in overtime. So I always thought we had to score. And then but in the back of my head, I knew I, was, I wanted to take a penalty. I knew where I was going to go just in case. What's it like to want to take that penalty, to, to be that guy, to know that you want the ball on your foot with the chance to win the game before that crowd? I just think it's all about confidence because, like, after training, I usually take two or three penalties each side, just practicing for when the moment comes. So I was confident if we had to go there. You know, this this, this game, though, wasn't your first experience in a big atmosphere. You had your debut in the Champions League against Deportiva Saprissa. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was it was surreal just getting my name called from from warming up. I was just thinking of all like the hard work I've been in throughout my career and getting ready for that moment. So then when I got subbed on, there was a big roar from the crowd and just gave me a lot of confidence and happiness. When when do you when do you sit there and go, "Wow, this is real?" Is it is it when they hand when they uh, call you and say you've been selected? Is it when they hand you your first jersey with your, your name on the back? Or is it when you're standing in the arena and they call out your name? I think I think when they call your name in the arena and all the fans cheer for you, it just, it, it really, it gets you like happy and confident and excited. We've been lucky enough to have a couple of your, your teammates who have come through the Union Academy, played for the under-17 squad at times. Um, what's it like for you guys to experience this together? We had Paxton on earlier this season, a lot of firsts for you guys, and you're not doing it alone. What, how is that like to have people with you that have, have gone through it? Yeah, me, Paxton, and Quinn all played on the same U17 team, so we all know how each other play, each other's strengths. So like, when we're all on the field together, I think there's a, we always have like a connection with each other. You know, you mentioned you, Paxton, and Quinn. You, you guys all got the, the call-up to the under-20 team Crazy time in between you finished the season, NYCSC, before the Red Bulls game. You've got three games, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico. What's it like to go play in that experience and, again, to be able to do it together? Yeah, I mean, it's always good being with those two when you're away, especially when you don't know a lot of people there. It, it gives you, like, a sense of home kind of. And then it's always fun playing for the national team. But, like, obviously the results weren't great, but it's just a good learning experience in some of the best countries in the world. You know, we, we've talked about you and this group of guys that have kind of grown up together. 
you've also had somebody in your own household who you grew up playing soccer with and actually had a chance to play against. Uh, how competitive were you and your brothers growing up? And, and then what was it? What was the experience like as you got to play against him and score against his team? Uh, me and him, we were competitive at everything we do. Not not even soccer wise. Like who finishes their food first? Like everything, everything you can imagine, we're competitive with. So just playing against him, it was weird at first because I'm always used to passing him the ball and everything. So when I first saw him, I was like, oh. I might pass it to him, but I couldn't. And he fouled me. He got a yellow card because his coach told him to foul me. <laughs> so is did that going to Did your parents say anything? <laughs> no, they were, they, they were happy with him because he fouled me. They were happy with him. He's the favorite. Something tells me that's going to come up at Thanksgiving dinner uh, when, when you guys – Well, wait. I, so I have a question about that. This is Thanksgiving week. You said that you even have competitions about who finishes first. Are there any Thanksgiving traditions – where where you guys have an eating contest or something where you have to compete against each other? No, it's not like it's not eating. Con- My dad always wins. He's like a vacuum cleaner. I don't know how he does it, <laughs> but like it's just uh, anything you can like video games. We always play on Thanksgiving and then we go out and play like one v one. I usually win, I think, but he'll disagree with that. But it's always competitive between us. So so you go play 1v1 in the game that you guys played. The second game was a draw, but but you scored to to make it a tie. Does that give you a little bit of bragging rights on him that you scored against his team? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't want him here to end of that since I scored on him. And then he, he scored later on in the game and it was disallowed, so I always, I always get at him for that. <laughs> Do you got- bring the videotape over so you can just play it over and over again? Yeah, every time, every time I see him, I show him the video of it. You know, we've we've talked about Thanksgiving week. Uh, obviously, we got to ask you. Athletes comment on their food all the time. You got a favorite Thanksgiving food? Uh, I would say um, mac and cheese, probably. Yeah. And, uh, turkey is turkey's a little dry. We're we're pro mac and cheese here, by the way, at the heart of sports. So we're with you on that. <laughs> Well, well, that to speak for yourself. I mean, look, Matt. I think it was Matt Judon who started this whole controversy this week about that he hates mac and cheese. I mean, have you had a chance? You have a Twitter account. Have you gone back and Matt Judon about uh, your Matt, your love of mac and cheese? <laughs> Gonna need to now. He's prepping for a game, Jeff. <laughs> so, so. Jack, you've got you've got another big game coming up against Nashville this week. Get to be at home again. What's the preparation like? Obviously, a different week with the holiday in between. Nashville played later than you guys. What's it like for you guys as you get ready for the game this Sunday? Yeah, obviously we've had a longer time to prepare than them. They played yesterday, so we've had like we have a longer training week than them, which gives us more preparation time. So I think we're going to be very prepared know how they play, know how we want to play, and just execute on the field. One of the things, I mean, you the the younger group of you and Paxton, you and Quinn have, have been very close because you played together. But one of the things that we've, at least what we've observed from the outside, talking to a lot of your teammates, is how close all of you are as a team. Um, what has it been like and, and, and what have you experienced as far as how the, the veteran players have kind of, brought you all into the fold and you've been able to mesh as the season goes on. Yeah, I think we all three of us learn a lot from them every day, whether it's on and off the field, like how they take care of their body, how they eat, what they do to prepare for training. And like, there's a lot of role models that we have in the locker room, like Ale Bedoya, he's played in World Cups and he's just a good guy to look up to. So I think all three of us can learn a lot from them every day. 
You know, what's it like for you to to come into a locker room as the young guy with these guys who have played all around the world? You've had some international experience in terms of the U.S. men's call-ups, but you come in. How do you kind of carve out your niche there? What's it that been like for you? I think every day I just play with confidence. I I know I, I know what I can do on the field, so I just think when you come up here and like you can't be scared to play, like you have to play how you know how to play. That's why you got signed. So you just have to show that every day on the training field. Jack, we, we can't thank you enough for the, the time today. We wish you the best of luck against Nashville this weekend and can't wait to keep following you both with the men's national team and with the union. Uh, go get them this weekend, man. Yes, sir. Thank you guys so much. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, I, all Thanksgiving yesterday, I kept thinking what it was like in the McGlynn household. I don't know if Jack was there, but the uh, the honesty from these players all the time is so much fun. Just another fun interview with a union player as they get ready for Nashville this weekend. Yeah, it could have been a lot more interesting at the McGlynn Thanksgiving dinner table uh-huh. if um, if this interview were aired before this is um, true. Thanksgiving. This is true. First, you know, between the competitiveness of the, of the brothers McGlynn, that's a, hey, I like that. That could be a movie someday when these two are stars, <laughs> the brothers McGlynn. You're just naming and branding everything. You've got a new Yeah, well, I didn't get the chance to, to go with the Union Jack thing. I mean, you could it wasn't them. like I come up with it. It came up with it. It was I was typing it and it just kind of came across and I was like, oh, Union Jack. Well, look, you're you're a trademark and copyright attorney. Just send it over to the team and let them know that you have <laughs> the rights to it and that you will let him use it. You know how to handle this all. Look, it it, it would. Do you feel old when you interview uh, professional athletes who are playing in playoff games that are uh, young enough to be your own children? <laughs> yeah, he was born in 2003, man. <laughs> yeah. that that one that one was a, a challenge. But look. It's really cool to hear his perspective because I was texting you on that glassness goal in the 123rd minute. That was insane. And I was so glad we got to ask him about Jim Curtin running down the sidelines because he was sprinting. I wanted them to have one of those things that he told us about where they track how fast you run and how far you run because Curtin dove to that dog pile. It was wonderful. Yeah, and I'd like to thank his, his teammates um, because – what you couldn't see during the interview, and even if you watch the the video of this, which we're which we're going to put up on our website after this, um, what you didn't see was that he on the other side of the glass in the conference room that he was in doing this from the union facility appeared to have been a large number of his teammates making faces and banging on the window, seeing if they could get him distracted. Yeah, next time we'll try and get them to turn the camera on that. But it, yeah, uh, and and as as somebody who easily gets distracted, both of us when we're when we're looking at the class and even when we're looking at each other when we're in the studio, you get distracted um, when I like. You get distracted yeah, by well, everything. <laughs> so when you're when you're 18 years old and you haven't done a ton of interviews beforehand, uh, I got to think that's difficult. And he handled it with a plum. 
He did he did very well with it. And look, it should be really loud and fun down there on Sunday. I haven't seen that stadium shake. We mentioned it to him like that. If you catch the camera shot, they had a still cam of the full stadium when the goal happened and all of a sudden the camera starts like going up and down real fast for it. It was just really cool to see. And you know, happy for the union that they had that experience. Let's see if they can keep it going against Nashville this week. Very tough matchup, Jeff. Why? They are a difficult team. It's funny. Their coach is already talking trash about how they didn't put in their stars till the second half and the first time, the last time the Union played them here. In what? One. In the playoff game or, no, or the last time they played the Union? When they played the Union last here oh. at Subaru Park, the Union won one nothing. Each team uh, won one nothing on the other team's field this year. And so they Nashville, after the game, were talking about how confident they were coming here. Look, I think you've got a very confident Union team, too. We'll see what happens. I I'm very much looking forward to to catching. Don't you also have a very different union team than than earlier in the season? You know, it's a difficult thing when you bring facts to a conversation, Jeff. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. You have you have three guys that are 18 years old who started the season as backups who have now played integral roles in this, including Jack McGlynn. You got you have Quinn. Getting, you have Quinn. You've got guys you, getting more comfortable. You've got exactly. You got Bueno so, here who's gotten some time now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, it it should be a great matchup. Starts at 5.30 on Sunday. If you're around and you haven't been to a union game and you can get tickets, go. You will have a blast. They are a fun team to go watch. It's a fun place to watch a game. Beautiful right on the waterfront. Uh, thanks to the union, as always, for hooking us up with some some good guests with that. Yeah, and if you want to stand the whole time, see if you can warm your way into the Sons of Ben area. <laughs> We'll but 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 I I love the rules. I, I have never gotten over the, that every time we go there, seeing the rules before you walk into the end zone area that has the Sons of Ben, which is one of the rules is that you must agree to stand the entire time. Yeah, that's always been the drawback for us going and being in that section. Speaking of though, Jeff, we've got about six minutes left for the show this week. You are leaving me right after this show, and you're going to go see some really good college football. Tell me what you're going to do. I hope I'm going to see some good college football. So last week I was at the Michigan-Maryland game. Now I'm going to Ann Arbor for the first time, I think, in nine years. Wow. Um, I've been to Ann Arbor sooner than that, more recent than that. But the last time I went to the game was, I think, nine years ago. I tried to talk the young man that I was with out of going to the game and selling the tickets for an absurd amount of money uh, because I thought they were going to get blown out. And uh, it came down to the last play of the game when Hoke went for a two-point conversion and didn't get it. The scars. So, uh, look, I just want I want a close game. I, I don't want to be sitting there as much as I will still have fun being in my old stadium with 110,000 people. Um, it's going to be cold. It's supposedly going to potentially snow and it will be worth every minute. And that's what college football is all about. As somebody who won't be there and I'll be from the warmth of my home. I hope for lots of snow. I love watching football in the snow, not for you who will be there, but for me as watching on the TV. What, what I do know though, is that Jim Harbaugh is now a discounted coach. I mean, he's a bargain compared to if you go 45 minutes to an hour up the road to East Lansing where Mel Tucker got close to $100 million for a guy who's been coaching for three years and only had one winning season. That's a lot of money. Would you take him yeah. on your team, though, instead of Harbaugh? 
You, Tucker? You, yes. No, I would not. Because you've no, not always no. been the biggest Harbaugh fan with the offense that they run. And, you know, you're a Michigan man. You love the team, but you've been critical at times of the team that they've put out on the field under him. So you wouldn't make that trade? No, I wouldn't. Um, well, first of all, if the, if the money's got to change hands, it, they are public universities, so I don't know how they afford all these people other than the uh, boosters kick in here. But Mel Tucker has has already shown not to be a loyal coach. Um, he he left Colorado after a year. He was ready. It looks like ready to start talking to people to leave Michigan State. And if you think that if things go awry or there's a better job that he can get in two or three years because Michigan State's not in the top four, just expect him to go. The one thing I will say about Harbaugh even though I don't like a lot of things he does, and I don't think he's a great game day coach, and I don't think he's a good quarterback coach, because he certainly is loyal. Oh, he definitely is loyal. Now, you saw Maryland play this week. Uh, how are they as a football team? Because Rutgers will try to become bowl eligible winning this week against them. They're not good. Uh, they, they clearly have the the lesser of the two Tagliavola. I don't know how to pronounce his name yeah. even now. Um, Tagliavola. I'm just gonna um, let you keep saying it. Yeah, you're gonna let show. me keep saying it. Yep, let you hang to, here. To, to his brother. Huh? Um, oh, there you go. That's that was well played there, Jeff. Good thank job. You. And I'm even gonna. They're not. They're not terrible, but they're but they're not great. But okay. I guess you can say the same thing about Rutgers. So it should be a battle of. Well, it's not Rutgers, just so you know. The it's State Richards. University. Oh yes, I saw yes. that. Uh, you sent me the picture from the scoreboard where they spelled it Rutgers. Yes, um, it, it was. I felt bad because they were giving away as a prize a trip up to see Rutgers um, versus Maryland versus yeah. Maryland, which look, you and I have talked about it. I didn't get to have that college experience. Rutgers was 0 and 11 my freshman year. So I, I didn't have that big time. Like I've gone back to a couple games. It's fun. But you mm-hmm. you have that you experienced that and I didn't. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with old friends. I mean that that to me that's what it's about. It's not necessarily the game is is great, but isn't sports really about the the bonding with your with your family members, with your friends? And college is you know it's a chance to go back and walk on your campus and and cheer on your team with your friends, and it's it's an amazing experience for me. When I go back to Rutgers, I feel old because I see how much has changed now. <laughs> so it's like every time I go there, it's like oh, okay, they changed more. But look, so well, I'm only I'm only going to be there for 24 hours because somehow I have to get back in time to go to the Giants Eagles game. All right. So tell me what you expect to see that we got about two minutes left. Let's talk a little Giants Eagles Eagles Giants. Uh, you've talked about how brutal the Giants offensive line is an opportunity for the Eagles defense to get going. Uh, it seems like the Giants rushing defense, although they don't give up the big plays, uh, is not as good. The Eagles had 240 yards rushing against the Saints last week with over 50 rushes. You think they're going to be able to continue that this week? Yes. Okay. But, Sorry, I wish I, I wish I had a more complicated say, answer, but but I have no faith in if you if you think I'm worried about the Michigan Ohio State game <laughs> as as a Giants fan, I, I know what's coming in that game. It would be a shock, and the only way they win is if somehow Michael Strahan, who's having his jersey retired puts it on and actually comes out on the field. <laughs> so you're, are you not a Joe judge fan or are you not a talent that they have fan? What is it as a giants fan that you don't like these days? I don't, I can't, I can't judge Joe judge, no pun intended because he doesn't have the tools. And Dave Gettleman is an awful general manager who has shown that he can't put the tools. 
Saquon Barkley was a massive mistake, and it doesn't matter if he didn't get injured and was having 1,500-yard seasons. You do not draft a running back that high when you don't have an offensive line that can block for him and you don't have all the other pieces in your offense. It's really funny you say that because it takes us back to where we started with the show of should the Eagles have taken Ricky Williams or taken Donovan McNabb. It's sort of the Mm -hmm. same situation. The Eagles didn't make that call. They didn't go the Saquon Barkley route with Ricky Williams. They went. Well, now you see what could have happened. So it's basically like a, a warning tale. Even though Ricky was confident, he would have done well here. I'm sure I'm sure he would have. It's it's not a question of how good the running back is. It's whether or not you can build a team around a running back. Now, there's one team in the NFL right now that has built a team successfully around the running back. And then he got hurt, which is Derrick Henry and the Titans. But other than that, name a team in the last 10 years that has built a team where the running back is the best player on your team. We will have to name it next week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.